And now, it's time for a Star Trek story. Aaron, if you had to sum up Star Trek in one word. Star Trek in one word? Star Trek in one word. You can't use two words, because that would be Star Trek. So you got to do it in one word. What is it? Humanity. <laughs> Thank you for the Shatner pause. <laughs> With the, uh, I wish uh, we should have had a camera going like hands were in the air. Humanity. Humanity. <laughs> probably that. No. Humanity. That's probably it. So yeah, in case you um, haven't caught on, we're talking about Star Trek. Mm-hmm. In our little podcast here. In our little podcast here. Um, yeah, if you stumbled onto this conversation, it means you're listening to episode one of Star Trek Stories. How, yeah, how about that? How about it? My name is Jaron Hatch, and I'm joined by Aaron Cole. Hi, everybody. Hello. Star Trek for us is something that has been a part of our lives forever, and it's something that we could just jump on any platform and talk about if we wanted to, you know, for hours and hours. Even without a mic. And we decided we just wanted to share that, you know, externalize it with, with the people. So whether you're an old-timey Star Trek fan like us or you're a complete noob, never even heard of it, and you just clicked on this for, to fall asleep to, then welcome. Welcome. Um, I think you summed this up, Aaron, when I first broached the subject with you, is you called it, it would be like kind of like a Star Trek book club. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of what, we're, what this is all about. So... First and foremost, like Star Trek Stories is a bit of, this is a watch-along podcast. Um, a little bit later, um, you're, we're going to give you the invitation to watch an episode of Star Trek. Um, and then once you're done watching it, check back in with us as we talk about it. As we are, for all these episodes, we're going to sit down, watch an episode, and then talk about it afterwards. So it's kind of like... I don't know, watching something with your friends. I think one of the fun things about, if Game of Thrones taught us anything, mm-hmm. is that watch parties can be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And they don't have to be exclusive to one living room. Like, we can have international watch parties now, you know? Yeah. Somebody on the other side of the world could be listening right now being like, I love Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. I hate what they're saying about it, but, you know. I completely disagree, but I like listening cool. to it. And? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um... So every episode, we're going to watch an episode. There are a few movies in the Star Trek franchise. Mm-hmm. We'll also watch some of those, but it's primarily going to be episodes. We're going to sit down, and most of the time, we're going to be sitting down with some friends mm-hmm. and watching it. And every week, we'll have someone different come on, and we'll all watch Star Trek together and see what we all think about it. Exactly. You know, mostly friends to start. And if it blows up to become anything uh, at all as a podcast, then we'd love to have have guests uh, that are fans of the show and fans of Star Trek come on and give their takes as well. Or if you're brand new oh, and don't know it. Like, that's what we're also looking for. Oh, yeah. We got friends that have never seen a Star Trek before that are coming on the show. Yep. You know, because there's, there's value in that perspective. Yeah. Um... This is a good segue into, I think, the other thing we want to talk about with the show, and um, it's what we want to do with the show, is also kind of like cataloging and looking at, I don't know if you'd call this the fan experience, the audience experience, mm-hmm. 
just those of us who come and enjoy something together. And some of us are going to be on different levels of how much we love it. Um, and it all means something a little differently to us. Um, there's a lot, of, you know, in this day and age, geek and nerd culture has just exploded. And now we're all kind of... Oh, yeah. Yeah, geeking out and sharing all these stories together. Um, I think, you know, and we will, we will, you know, make some qualitative judgments about things, but I think we've agreed that what's fun about looking at some of the stuff is not necessarily, was this good or bad? Of course, again, we will talk about that, but just what's more interesting is that we can all look at this differently. Sometimes we, we can all like something, sometimes we can all not like something, but more often... There's going to be a whole mixture of opinions about things. Um, and I think that's also kind of one of the things we want to look at. It's just how we all come at maybe one thing, picking one thing, mm -hmm. and how we all come at it with different perspectives and what it means to us. Yeah. Um, we're not here to, like, just unabashedly praise Star Trek, nor are we here to bash Star Trek no, we'll have a healthy balance of both and everything in between, I feel like. Yeah. Like, even amongst our conversations without the podcast about the show, like, we, we've criticized, we praised, like, it's just how what humans do. Yep. We like to organize and categorize. Yeah. You know? That's fun, though, and just to see how we all feel about it. Um, clearly, a lot of you who end up listening to this will be pre-existing Star Trek fans. Mm-hmm. Aaron, I think it's pretty safe to say that you and I are pre-existing oh, yeah. Star it, Trek fans. I would not get insurance for it. It is a pre-existing condition. Pre-existing condition. <laughs> um, very much so. Um, but if you don't know Star Trek, we also are hoping that this is a potential, if you've never watched it or only watched a little bit, it's such a big thing. Mm -hmm. It's massive. It's one of the biggest longest-running geek nerd franchises out there. Mm -hmm. We could be... One of the be, genius things about us choosing to do Star Trek is that we could do this podcast for years and never run out of content. Yeah, there's just so much. Yeah, endless content. Um, but that can be... I know talking to people who have never gone into Star Trek, that can be a little daunting, mm -hmm. to say the least. Like, where does one even begin with this kind of a thing yeah and i think this is this provides a great avenue for that you know yeah it's a little less daunting we're going to give you some highlights some lowlights a, a good mix of of the good bad and the ugly yeah you know everything but it's all still star trek you know like you gotta take the rough with the smooth oh yes there's yeah. lots of bad and good mm -hmm. but if there's one thing that nerds love to do it's it's share the thing that they're nerd about you know yeah and even talking about the bad it can be a lot of fun too mm -hmm. You know, um, what we're planning to do for the first little bit, we're committing to a hundred episodes. At least we're gonna. That's our that's our initial commitment. There are actually hundreds more um, Star Trek episodes, but we're gonna try to commit to a list of one hundred. That's kind of gonna give us a broad overview of the franchise in general, um, starting with the original 1960 show and moving through all these shows and eras and eventually catching up to where we are now. Um, we're calling this 
first episode list, this is going to be phase one. Like, so Marvel phase one, this is Star Trek stories phase one. And it's even more epic because mm-hmm. there's a hundred episodes. And we do not have John Favreau. So no. wish us luck. So wish us luck. Uh, Star Trek stories phase one, venturing out into the universe as we just, just go barreling into what's out there in the Star Trek um, universe. So, for those of you who are returning, I know you're going to love it. But if you are new to this, um, welcome aboard. We hope this is a fun way to watch it. And just letting you know right now, if you start watching this for the first time and you like it enough where you're interested in just starting to want, you want to go check out your own stuff, whatever speaks to you. Oh, please do it. Just yeah. go start watching it. There's yeah. just too much just to watch it in one specific way. Yeah. We're not going to be able to rein you in or hold you back. No. If- if you're into it, then it's just, it's going to consume your television for the next little while. Oh, yeah. If we get to Next Generation and you decide that's the show for me, do it. If we get to Voyager and that's your show, do it. If we get to Discovery and that's your show, just do it. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Once you, just start having fun with it. If you hate it, then go watch House of the Dragon. Yeah. yeah. Or Rings of Power. Hey, cool. You know? I hear Wheel of Time is coming back this year, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, great. Um that's going to bring us into, um, real quick, Aaron, um, just letting um, our, our audience know a little bit about us, starting with you. Mm. Um, no, I'm on the hot seat. Yeah, so we're always going to have a little special guest here to talk with or interview these first two episodes. It's just going to be us. But Aaron is sitting currently in the captain's chair. We will always be having someone sitting in this captain's chair that we're going to Mm-hmm. have guiding the ship and today it's aaron aaron hello Hi. captain aaron how are you good how are you i'm feeling good i have all the um the command console here on the side of the chair i can eject the warp core at any point if i need to <laughs> i have the codes i can self-destruct the ship i guess we should start with where you and i first met all the way back to the beginning yeah of us we met uh at weber state we both ended up going to school there yeah. for college. Weaver State University. Uh, the only university that doesn't really require a high school diploma to get in. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, folks. Weaver State. High recommendations. Check no. it out. You know, but the theater program at the time was the cat's pajamas. It was really good. Knees. So if you were into that, as we were, like I, I, was, I had eyes on being an actor back then. Mm-hmm. 15 years ago, more, like 17 years ago now. That's crazy. Um, that was it. That was like the college to go to if, if that's what you wanted to pursue. We probably introduced our, ourselves to each other in the uh, auditions for tuition waivers. Yeah, for probably. Yeah, probably. I remember specifically meeting you uh, for callback auditions for Larry's show. Um, beat him in the firebox? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, where we we were auditioning for the same part, I think, of the serial killer crazy guy. Oh, yeah. Which you ended up getting, I ended up getting into another show. Uh-huh. But yeah, that spawned an amazing friendship. It really did. Yeah? That was the beginning. I feel like one of my first impressions of you was thinking that, I remember watching you in some shows or in some scene work, and just your comedic timing and so much of that stuff was just fucking on point. Just like, damn, he knows... He knows when to really get that uh, punchline mm. in. I'm like, uh, all your, I will still always have him blazing on my mind. 
This is when you were doing musical of musical, the musicals. Uh, musical of musicals, the musical. Mm-hmm. I will still, I will never forget you coming out on those roller skates, just the biggest smile on your face. <laughs> like you were, you guys were all selling it a, a thousand percent. But that's what the joke was. Yeah. Like, but you weren't trying to be funny. You were just super committing to that Broadway. Right. Coming out on the roller skates and just ah, da, da. <laughs> jerking that circle, you know. <laughs> It really oh, was something else. It was. I was laughing so hard. I thought it was the fucking funniest shit. Oh man! Like that was the joke. It was just like, just because they're taking it so seriously. Yeah, that show was by theater people for theater people. Had one thousand percent. Oh yeah. Um, the comedy was the first thing that struck me, but I also learned that Aaron has a lovely singing voice. That's true. Yeah. I probably I'd, I'd rank that at number one talent wise. Yeah. I'm not ashamed to say, probably, singer, dancer, actor in that order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember when we were living together in Boys House, The Next Generation, Yeah, you were doing a lot of singing. You were connecting with people online and like mm-hmm. doing like covers of songs and then you eventually would meet up and all talk and... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was an interesting time. Smule was the app I used. It was a, it's a karaoke app where you can collab with other people. You can collab with the actual artists of the songs will come on and do stuff. Very silly, but it was fun for a time. It was a good time. Met a lot of very interesting people. Met a lot of really shitty people. Um, but it was a growing experience. It was a learning experience. And mm. it, it really did take my singing voice to the next level because it was it was playing at at being a professional a little bit, mm-hmm. being able to go back and listen to yourself and and like hear your mistakes, like, oh, I need to go back and do that again, like all that stuff. Because of that, I feel like I have such control over my singing voice now. Mm. Yeah. Very different. Um, I would say so. Like, I've only heard you get better over the years, mm-hmm. and you were good before, so mm-hmm. or sometimes we'll be, I'll, I'll be with someone and you'll be singing, and we'll be just like, God damn. I have a kind of voice on him. Well, thank you. Yeah. So welcome. Um, yeah. Um, that is fun. I, you know, it's fun to have a friendship that kind of where its roots are performing. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you know, in the years of living together, both like, yeah, we lived together a couple times in a big group of friends. There was the boys house. And then a few years later, there was boys house next generation where we all got back together and mm-hmm. had an even longer run. And there was like the larger circle of friends who all had their own places too, and like lots of artists and performers, actors, writers. You know, yeah, a very special time, full of so many creative people in our lives. Yep. We were immersed, immersed yep. in the South. Oh yeah. Also, yeah, lots of video games, lots of nerd shows, mm-hmm. so much, so much, um, and a lot of that was really fun, and um, makes for a lot of good fun bonding experiences. I would. I would say I think that's one of the reasons why I, I, I enjoy Star Trek so much is that I feel like it has been a good gateway to connect with certain friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You uh, like this thing? I like this thing. I like it too! We can like things! Um, so I know we've talked a little bit about your history with Star Trek, mm-hmm. um, but where, where would you say that kind of really starts with you? I know you're a bit of a longer fan. For me, it starts with the toys. Yeah. Uh, before I even knew the show, it was playing with the Next Generation Bridge Crew and their little detachable phasers mm-hmm. and the Enterprise ship. I had the 
I had the shuttlecraft that fit all the action figures inside of it. Yeah. Because um, my dad was a fan. He was a huge Star Trek fan. Uh, so that's where it all started for me. Um, and really informed my my enjoyment of sci-fi from then on. I love all the ships. I love mm-hmm. uh, looking at that creative aspect of it. Those books of, of like Star Wars and Star Trek designs that you, they would like blow up the ships and show you the interiors and all that stuff. Give you like cross sections. I went nuts for that stuff. I yeah. loved it so much. All the decks. Yes. They had the next generation blueprints. Here's mm-hmm. like, here's how the enterprise is laid out. I'm like, they went to this amount of thought and detail. There is that aspect of it yeah. where it's just like, whoa. Where like it just, it took your imagination on a ride. Like, yeah. Yeah. And it really, it created that world for you so that you didn't have to imagine it, you know, and it, it let your imagination go even further. Like, very cool. It made it feel very real. Oh, yeah. Um, you watched Voyager as a kid, though? Yes. That was the one you watched. Mm-hmm. That yeah. was the one just happened to be on at the time after homework was done and dinner was eaten, you know. Uh, my dad was into Deep Space Nine, but Voyager was the show we would watch together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then... We we started living together, and... Now we're married. Now we're married. We have five kids on, on the way. Woo! Yeah. From uh, all we're over the place. We're having quintuplets. <laughs> <laughs> Through various surrogates and <laughs> adoptions. Um, yeah, when we, when, we were, when we were living together, you and I watched Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. And you hadn't really watched through it all at the time. Yeah, that was the reason it ended up becoming probably... My favorite Star Trek out of all of them was, mm. was our watch through. Our oh, the watch through, yeah. I went back and last year I watched it all with my wife. Mm-hmm. We blew through it. Like she ended up just taking off and watching a lot of it by herself. Yeah. Because she was flying and you know like she just wanted to get through the story. You know she was so into it. Yeah. Yeah. Then we when we did Boys House the Next Generation, you and I watched Star Trek the original series mm-hmm. and the animated series after that. Yep. Watch both of them. Just because I'd never seen any of them. Any I only the classic stuff. I only knew just the stereotypes of Kirk and Spock and Kirk getting his shirt ripped off and fighting the Gorn and making out with the space ladies. Like, yeah. that was my entire view of the original series. <laughs> it's not far off. No, not too far off. <laughs> there's a little more to it than that. There, there's more nuance. There's more nuance than just that. But And Shatner saying, bones! Bones! Pretty much that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad. Um, I, I know we, you and I have had lots of Star Trek time together, so I'm glad that you and I are deciding to do this. Just kind of, you know, like you know, we've been watching it and talking about it for years. Yeah. Why not actually just like sit down, put a mic to it, and see what happens. And see what happens. And you know, that's that's a good segue into kind of what this first episode is. So, um, as the record as of the recording of this, um, this would have been a few weeks ago, and. We got together, we watched an episode of Star Trek, and we brought out a mic and talked about it afterward. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is kind of why we're back talking about it again now, because we had no idea. Yeah, we had no idea. So, in a bit, what you're going to hear is um, us talking about that episode Mm -hmm. when we originally recorded it, and just kind of our impressions. Um, And going forward, that'll be more what the show is like, is us talking about specific episodes yep what we thought about those yeah yep um we'll have a little you know 
conversation in the beginning, then we're going to watch the show all together and then talk about it afterward. Um, so for this first episode, it's only appropriate that we start off this whole show, this whole phase one, venturing out into the universe, you know, as my good friend Julie Andrews as Maria Von Trapp once said, let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. <laughs> um, we're going to watch the original 1964 pilot, The Cage. Um, like we briefly said, um, this was the first go at making Star Trek, but it had a completely different cast. Um, but this was creator Gene Ronberry's attempt to get his like little sci-fi show that could off the ground. Um, he had been like a a writer on westerns and and stuff, and he eventually got a chance to pitch a show, like the kind of show he always wanted to do, and it was this kind of space western show. Mm -hmm. Do you think he had any idea in his wildest imaginings that it would become what it became? Uh, um. I, you always have that hope, hmm. but my guess is, but to actually expect it, no. Hmm. There's no way you can actually expect it. And if you did, it still would be like, I'd still, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, if only you could see it now. He's been dead for a long time, but yeah. even then, like, when, when he had died, he basically died at the very end of Classic Track when that last original series movie was released. It was basically right around when he died. Hmm. And he saw a little bit of what was to come. Like, he helped, he was the creator of Next Generation. Uh -huh. He was aware that they were going to be making Deep Space Nine. Or he knew something was coming. Yeah. That's about it, though. Um, so if he were to see it all now, I'd be like, oh, <laughs> it's yeah. still going, huh? And there's even more. Yeah. Like, if you put like the success over time on a graph, there would just be that huge leap. You know what I mean? Yeah. All of a sudden, like an explosion of popularity. Oh, yeah. Um, here I had this is has very humble beginnings mm -hmm. um, so that's what we're about to watch um, and then when we come back um, it's going to be the original conversation that Aaron and I recorded when we watched this together um, if you have Paramount Plus if you bring up Star Trek the original series I believe it's listed as episode one if not, um, just go look for The Cage, but I do believe yeah. it is listed as episode one. I think it might actually be episode zero. Oh, episode zero? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it should be right at the beginning. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah. Um, we're going to sit down and watch The Cage, um, and then we're going to come back and have a little chit-chat about it. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. yourself and now you're tired and you you bet i'm tired you bet i'm tired of being responsible for 203 lives and i'm tired of deciding which mission is too risky and which isn't and who's going on the landing party and who doesn't and who lives and who dies well i've, I've had it phil to the point of finally taking my advice arrest leave to the point of considering resigning. And do what? Well, for one thing, go home. Nice little town with 50 miles of parkland around it. Remember I told you I had two horses? 
We used to take some food and ride out all day. Oh, that sounds exciting. You ride out with a picnic lunch every day. I said that's one place I might go. Going to business on regulars or in the Orion colony. You, an Orion trader, dealing in green animal women slaves? But the point is that this isn't the only life available. It's a whole galaxy of things to choose from. Not for you. A man either lives life as it happens to him, meets it head on and licks it, or he turns his back on it and starts to wither away. Now you're beginning to talk like a doctor, bartender. Take your choice. We both get the same two kinds of customers, the living and the dying. about the very first episode yeah. in this one the the pilot the pilot the original 1964 pilot OG Star Trek and then we're going to jump next episode uh, into into the pilot that actually got the show up and running mm-hmm. uh, we can talk a lot about that how they kind of retooled the show yep uh, pros and cons weigh both the episodes against each other see why uh, Kirk's pilot was so much more successful yeah, for the, for if in case you don't know, Gene Roddenberry's the creator of Star Trek and pitched this to the network. He used to write uh, for westerns and police dramas, mostly westerns though. Right before this, he had a series called Lieutenant, which was a kind of like a military-based drama. Lasted about a season. Um, I'm learning too with both our listeners. <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert. I know a lot. <laughs> I, I, I have read encyclopedias. Oh yeah, Jaren is very much the the <laughs> the good <dramaturge>. the dramaturge, <laughs> yes. The trivia master when it comes to Star Trek, no question. But there's a lot of like the some of the behind the scenes stuff is genuinely even more interesting than the stuff you see on screen. It's kind of a minor miracle this show even exists. So much was working against it, and the fact that it's become now this like almost sixty year thing, and st- it still feels fraught. You look at when Next Generation came on. It was very fraught. And then the modern stuff, like with some of the fan response Mm -hmm. and everything. And it's like, it always, Star Trek always feels like a franchise that's trying to push and it's always teetering. Yeah. It's this weird line of of being very offensive and very progressive. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Especially in this first episode and in the 60s show in general. Yeah. But it forces you to think about these concepts and take a look at it sometimes with an objective eye that you don't want to have or the idea that Star Trek gives you a once-removed take mm. on, on important issues, mm-hmm. universal issues that they can talk about. And because it's set in space and it's like, oh, it's just, you know, future magic and whatever, you can talk about all kinds of stuff. You can kind of take a step back. Yeah, you that you normally wouldn't get away with as a writer or as a producer trying to get the show on, on television. Oh, yeah, very much why I think it's interesting to go back now. You can see what they were trying to say you know, how successful were they? Is it successful now? The show lends itself really well to that. And all its incarnations. They all they all they, they all make for interesting time capsules of kind of what people were thinking about, kind of some of the socio political things that were going on at the time. Maybe not maybe not always successfully. The original show has tried they tried to do a, a Vietnam yeah. episode. The next generation tried 
to do a, a gay rights episode. Tried. A lot of people look at uh, DS9, they look back at Jedzia Dax's character as as an advocate for trans rights. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And absolutely. I didn't even notice that growing up. It wasn't even a concept in my brain watching mm-hmm. that show for the first time. Mm-hmm. It totally makes sense. Uh, what's fun about re- revisiting this is this is the OG version, and it's like that kind of thing is baked into it right from the beginning. And I think you definitely see it in this first episode, The Cage. Gene Roddenberry pitches this space western. He pitched it as wagon train to the stars. Pioneers going across the plains and, you know, having adventures along the way. It's going to be a spaceship finding these planets and everything. There's going to be an adventure. But instead of, like, six shooters, there's going to be ray guns. Instead of Native Americans, you know, it's aliens. And so westerns are huge at the time. Probably important to note the space program's happening right now. That's probably the biggest thing that helps the show get made. The nerddom is originating, and it's very niche. Right here, yeah. yeah. Right now, like, Gemini, Mercury astronauts are, like, celebrities. They're reading the Dime Store novels and all that stuff. Kennedy has Kennedy said that man's going to be on the moon at the end of the decade, and it's like, all right, let's see. But what sells it is the Western, that it's going to be a Western. They greenlight it, and they do this. Now, we just watched it. I don't know how much this is actually a Western. This seems pretty much... There's elements. It seems sci-fi. It does. It seems like it very much like a, a Asimov rough draft or something. Not at all a Western story. There's, what, one action scene in this with, like, the dream sequence with the, the, the barbarian in the, in the fortress? And that's, yeah. that's it. And that's, even, that's more medieval fantasy. And the, yeah, yeah, that's medieval fantasy. Absolutely. There's the siege moment with the laser gun, but that's more medieval, too, just with the ray gun. That's about it. Like, otherwise, it's mostly people in rooms talking about stuff. So, uh, I mean, what did the producers think after greenlighting a space western and being shown this for the first time? They were very impressed. They believe that they're on a spaceship traveling through space. There is a lot of detail. It's important to note the only two other, like, sci-fi things in town, like Twilight Zone was wrapping up around this time. Outer Limits was doing a thing. But, like, those are both spooky, psychodrama monster movies in, like, 30-minute episodes. And then, like, Lost in Space, which is this family spacey show. Very family-friendly. Very geared towards the nuclear family ideal. I think one of the things that probably sold them on it is Gene Roddenberry's vision of this future. This didn't sell them. Not at all. It's too cerebral. American families at 7 o'clock on a Monday are not going to tune in and watch aliens kidnapping a guy and trying to breed him. But they're impressed by the level of detail, how believable it is, and how thoughtful it is. They buy it. This won't work, though. This is not what you sold us. This is not a Western. It's almost Gene Roddenberry gets caught tricking Paramount. Because this is kind of what he really wants to do, is these really thoughtful science fiction shows where they travel to these planets, there's people like us on it, but things are different, and we there's some kind of problem that needs to be solved. Big gamble. Huge gambit on his career. Do something like that. That's insane. That's like a make-it-or-break-it situation. Like, had that failed completely, had he been rejected, he probably never would have been able to pitch an idea again. Not anytime soon, no. no. Uh, especially since this was, I believe, the most expensive TV pilot at the time. Which I think shows, to some degree. It's like, some of this looks pretty 1960s, threadbare. I love the background sets. They're brilliant. They're great. Uh, but there is a you can tell there's a lot of, a, like, love and care put into everything. Mm-hmm. The ship... The, the planetary sets, the, the Barbarian Fortress, that whole set mm-hmm. looks awesome. How they pull off the sets in, like, the alien prison, the, the zoo. Totally. That's what I'm saying. It's like it, 
the world building, even in this pilot episode, is it's clear how much has already been thought out, almost to a Tolkien degree. Like he knows exactly what it, where he wants to do with the show and where he wants it to go, what he wants it to be. There's definitely a vision behind it. I think that's probably the thing that comes across most strongly in this first episode is the vision. From the get-go, there's a very clear vision for what Gene Roddenberry wants this kind of to be. But this is not what we kind of end up getting. It's very similar. It's not exactly what we end up getting, though. I think the show that ends up getting created after this is a little more fist fights, phaser fights. Not so much here. There's more of an adventure show when it gets picked up, I think. This is less of a pilot, more of like an episode three or four, like the producer said, very cerebral. There is a big what if, though, if like they had picked up on this, yeah. if they had said yes to this, would this have worked as the, the series? Yes. Yeah, I think it would have worked for the time. I don't know if it would have been as successful. I mean, what does the original Star Trek have? Like five seasons? Three. Just three. Three seasons. That's about what I would say this version of the show would have had. It was about three seasons. It would have been interesting to see Pike and Number One's dynamic, to see if that grew or changed at all. The more I look back at this, it really does look like a final draft or a rough draft. It, it's definitely a prototype. You can tell they're trying to figure out what the hell this idea is. It very much comes across here, which is what makes it interesting to watch. I think it works really well as a standalone story of science fiction, as something to sell a TV show. It's like one of those stories that's better, what do they call it, a sock drawer story or something like that, where it's decent sci-fi, but it's not something you would necessarily publish. Or, like, I could see this being, like, a B-movie made in the 50s, but, like, dress it up, we're going to take it really seriously, we are going to make it thoughtful, but it does have that vibe. This kind of 50s B-movie sci-fi story, not particularly incredible or groundbreaking or anything like that. It works fine. And it's a, it's a decent example of what you can expect from this show moving forward. Clearly they improve upon the foundation that they set up here. I think this is interesting as a, a curiosity and as a standalone thing. I don't know if I would want the actual show to be this. It would be interesting to see. They did eventually turn this into, 60 years later, Strange New Worlds, which is airing now on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, Please sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> the Captain Pike show, and some of the characters come over, like number one, Spock. They do eventually turn it into a show. It's not, I wouldn't say the show is this. It is interesting that 60 years later, it kind of gets a new life, though. Yeah, the Pike storyline. The Pike stuff, specifically. 60 years later, they turn this episode of Star Trek into its own TV show, finally. But at this point, it does not get picked up. Could this be a better pilot? I think so. Yeah, it's a, it's a product of its time, and it's a product of, I think, trying to sell the show. I think they you can see they were worried about a few things, and that's where the sexism kind of comes out mm. through Captain Pike's character and stuff. A couple of his lines of dialogue would 60s audiences buy this because it was a very different time mm-hmm. culturally. Very much a time capsule. Yeah, in this episode, you have the Starship Enterprise traveling through space. They seem to be some kind of military space exploration agency. They're traveling through space. They get a distress call from this planet. And they go investigate. It's a human science ship that crashes on this planet years ago. And they're just now receiving the distress call. And so the Starship Enterprise changes course, engages in time warp, which is a fun sequence. I think it's fun to see how they do the warp for the first time. They're this going the time warp, yeah, and you get this, like, trippy haze of stars. What is going on? Is it, like, a montage? Is it? it yeah, 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 yeah. Is this a montage? It, uh, it, is there some weird time dilation going on right here? Because we kind of step out of, of the action of the scene. Like, you can see they're still talking and commanding the ship, but we don't get to see any of that. It's like this weird 
time phase moment. Mm-hmm. Maybe to kind of just show the audience for the first time, like, yes, we're, we're traveling to a new scene, a new part of the galaxy. Great scene, yeah. It's interesting, like, what were they meaning? They leave it up to your imagination as to what you're kind of seeing. Very stylized, though. I think more so than you see it later on. We are introduced to the captain, Christopher Pike. Very serious kind of guy, and, but seems to be kind of... There's just been an incident before this, and he's kind of doubting himself as a captain, maybe thinking, I should be done. Yeah, he seems to be second-guessing a lot of his career choices at this moment. It's like, maybe I could be doing literally anything else. Would I be happy? It's like a career crisis, if not a full-on like existential crisis. What interesting take for a captain. In the first few minutes, that's how they set up the show, is this captain who's in doubt about himself. Which I don't necessarily agree with, again, for a pilot. I feel like that's something to come up a little later on. Because uh, it kind of portrays him in this first episode as, like, maybe he has a bit of a lazy streak or, like, an anarchist streak or something like It's that. hard to know how to feel about him. Right. Not no. necessarily a fully likable guy. No. Not unlikable, but not necessarily likable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When he's having this little moment, while they're time warping or whatever, the doctor comes in and makes him a cocktail. And that's his prescription. Drinking. A little, like, cocktail and, and therapy session with the crew doctor. Very interesting scene. I do like that scene. Is it a weird choice for a pilot? Yeah. Is it a good scene, though? I think it's a, I think that's a good scene. It's cool to see the Enterprise pre-bones, too. Pre-everyone. Yeah. Yeah, just like what some... We're all used to Captain Kirk, Spock, Scotty, Bones. To see this version of the Enterprise beforehand with different people. Not as diverse. Bunch of blue-eyed white people right. in this show. Man on the bridge. Even oh. some redundant ones that just step up, stand next to Pike. I'm here too, Captain. Science officer, white guy. Communications officer, white guy. There, There is a person of East Asian descent in the transporter room acting as the assistant. He's actually wearing thick rim glasses for a second if you catch it. The crew members that you see in like their short leave clothes. Oh my god, the people like they're going to the beach or something. Yeah, I love that. (laughs) That that is one of those moments It's like straight out of a 60s magazine. Like this is how short leave would be on the Enterprise in the future. Take your future vacation to Antares 4. You and your whole family. Of course, the captain doesn't even think twice about it. Yeah, he's just walking to his cabin, passes people going to the space beach. This is before like hollow suite technology. So like, where were they going? In? Where were they going? So we have Captain Pike having an existential crisis. Mm-hmm. Old man doctor, Doctor Piper, even even more serious. Maybe he does. I guess he does have thrown a joke or two. He's yeah. pretty. Everyone's pretty serious in this. I feel like that's more. The fun. whole crew is. You don't. There's not a lot of character to people. Pike probably gets the most, but he still comes across as being serious and angry through most of this. I would say. Yeah, and I think that's a product of, of them trying to sell the show as serious, you know. It's a serious drama. Right. This is not lost in space for the kids. Not some hokey Buck Rogers thing. But to the point where there's not a lot of characterization. If a pilot is to set up the characters you're going to get invested in, this does not do it. I think it's good about giving you an idea of what Gene Roddenberry's vision is, but not the characters you're going to no. follow through on this grand yeah. adventure through space. Not it's all great. pretty functional. Not great as a TV show. Great as a pretty good sci-fi story by itself. This almost feels like an hour-long movie. Yeah. You're like, right. And kind of forget about uh, characterization at the expense of, of creating this this world. This, this world, yes. Like, the character development isn't super important in this. These are just people on space adventures, and they just come across this destruct. That's all you need to know. Yeah. That's it. But we also... The first officer is number one. That's all we get is number one. And she is the one, like, command officer who is a woman on this ship, as far as we can see, mm-hmm. in this episode. 
She's the only like woman in charge of things. There is the yeoman, who is basically Captain Pike's secretary. To give the morning reports. Give the morning reports and get in Captain Pike's way for comedy, I guess. And, yeah, some kind of like flirty sexual tension a little bit, too. It's not good. It's not a very flattering... The Yeoman is not a very flattering portrayal of women in a professional environment, I would say. I think number one does a, a good job of giving complexity to that role. Because Pike makes some comments about having women on the bridge. Yes. Which did not age well at all. No. It makes, it makes you physically cringe watching it like, ho, ho. Uh, but the way she plays it, hearing that, like, she can tell she's very affected by it. Why think, would you say that? Yeah. Yeah, she plays it very like, what the hell? Why would you? <laughs> like, that was inappropriate. <laughs> On the bridge of our starship in the future. Yeah, in front of the entire command crew. <laughs> so, like, that that dynamic, I think, would have been interesting to see play out had the show continued, like, uh, between the captain and number one. That is what is interesting about this, is the first officer is a woman. In 2022, this is not any kind of deal at all. It's a non-issue. In 1964, unfortunately, it is a big deal. There have been countless movies and like science fiction shows with like astronauts going on crazy space adventures. It's a bunch of dudes in silvery jumpsuits. Mm-hmm. Bunch of white dudes in silvery jumpsuits. That's still mostly what we have here with the exception of number one. The first officer, she's at the, the helm. She comes across as being very competent very professional they don't do a lot with her character but she is interesting like when she is left on the ship when the captain gets kidnapped by these aliens you don't doubt for a second that she is undoubtedly the most qualified person who should be in charge right now absolutely they look to her there's like no sneering there's no like not at all male jealousy or anything like no that. second guessing She's no one. second guessing and that's fairly progressive for 1964 yeah but then they throw in the line, I just can't get used to the idea of a woman being on the bridge. It's still speaking to a 1960s audience. One of the mandates that the network gave, though, for a second shot was the female first officer has to go. Well, there's, there's some stories about why this is the case. The one that Gene Roddenberry told everyone was that the networks didn't want, we, we can't have a woman as the first officer. And like, we've gotten letters. And the, and the people who spoke the most strongly were the women, these housewives saying, well, who does she think she is being on the bridge <laughs> doing this? Doesn't she know her place kind of a thing? Yeah, we call those Karens now. Karens. I, I, yeah. I absolutely believe that letters were written from Karens about that. That's kind of the story that is mostly circulated about why they didn't go with number one. And I don't doubt to some degree this is the truth. Mm -hmm. However, the network executives, I think this is Herb Solo. I'm not sure. I'd have to check that. He's gone on record saying it was because of nepotism. Because Majel Barrett, playing the first officer, was Gene Ronberry's mistress. Oh. Gene Ronberry was married at this time. Behind the scenes drama, like you were saying. And he cast his girlfriend as the first officer. My, and so, and they have claimed that actually what they wanted to do was have more diverse casting. So there is no one official version of this story. My guess is it's a combination of both of these things. Yeah, they're both trying to save face and the truth is somewhere in the middle. Yes, absolutely. I think they're both trying to save face here. Mm-hmm. 
Because Gene Roddenberry, like, he, as much as he wanted to present this kind of, like, vision of humanity in the future where things are going to be better, and, like, he eventually describes it to uh, to George Takei, who we will, we will at some point see as Mr. Sulu. He described it to George Takei as being Spaceship Earth is what the Starship Enterprise is. Everyone's there. But also Gene Roddenberry has a record of being a bit of a misogynist. Uh, so it's kind of a it's, a... it's an interesting scenario where, like, progressive guy, but problematic elements to the guy. So... And that's seeps through in the show yeah it absolutely seeps through i don't think you see anyone in the later even even the 60s show i don't think anyone makes any kind of reference no one questions that a woman is on the ship no it becomes much more indirect it becomes the casting of like kirk's girlfriends of the week and spock's girlfriend of the week or whatever Mm -hmm. or how they costume them and Mm -hmm. all that stuff like very they play up the sex in different ways (laughs) and they play up the sexism in in all kinds of different ways Mm -hmm. and that kind of becomes the norm for trek throughout the series unfortunately uh, absolutely miniskirts cat suits mm-hmm. well, I think only maybe just recently in the modern Star Trek has they've more or less gotten away from this finally because we saw this all the way up through Enterprise yeah. which ended in 2005 and to say they didn't know better to say they didn't know better in 1964 is being generous they knew better but it is, it's Hollywood that's Hollywood like, know what they're there to do they were trying to sell the show sell the show and, yeah and sex sells and there's no shortage of eye candy from from the other side either there's a lot of good looking guys on this show oh jeffrey hunter captain pike very handsome man mm-hmm. very striking blue eyes right but you don't see them as often in scantily clad no. outfits or anything like no, that no 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 probably for the best <laughs> <laughs> you know i would actually i i wouldn't mind as much if we saw it go always you know they go out of their way to sexualize women in a way they don't men Right. They will like have beauty shots of the main male characters, but it's still about being a strong character. It it would be fun to see some himbo stuff and yeah, like if you're gonna do it, then, then play at both sides, you know, fair's fair. The other character, the other one of the other big uh, network mandates was get rid of the guy with the pointed ears. People aren't gonna respond to him. He looks like Satan or some like some really racist depiction of an Asian character. Oh yeah, they thought no one was gonna like this character. That he was gonna actively turn people off from the show which is kind of interesting because it's like honestly Spock spoiler alert Spock becomes probably the most famous character in all Star Trek his line is synonymous you think Star Trek you think live long and prosper he's got the first line in all Star Trek with the hand the whole thing the very first line of this episode is delivered from Spock Mm. he's got the first line in all Star Trek but he's not a big character in this. Like, he's there. He's like the lieutenant. Yeah. Just kind of helping the captain do what he wants to do, but... How could they have known? Much more emotional. It's hard to get a read on who exactly Spock is, other than there is a pointy-eared person with pointed eyebrows on the bridge. He's not exactly human. Maybe he's full alien. We don't know. They don't even address that he is even an alien at all. He's ju- he's just there. Yeah. And they leave it completely up to your imagination as to who this character is. Which, from an actor's perspective, I love that they leave it so open. But like from a storyteller's perspective, he needs more. We'll have we'll have more to say about Spock in the next one. Yeah, because he's not much of a thing here. It's mostly the Captain Pike show. It's not even really about Captain Pike as it is the story. He does ha- he does go through an arc because he's going through this existential crisis, whether or not he wants to be the commander of this spaceship anymore. But they get this distress call. They decide to go check it out. They transport down to the planet and they find there is this science team that's been there for years. Mm-hmm. All old and haggard. There is also this young, very alluring woman with them from the get-go you see that she's out of place yeah almost has this siren quality 
to her. Mm-hmm. Even the music has this kind of siren call when she steps into it. I'm sure we'll have a lot to say about the music. <laughs> a lot of these themes come right on back in the rest oh, the, of the show. Yeah. They pop up time and time again. They reuse a lot of the musical motifs throughout the entire series. Yeah, she shows up. And then they, she alludes that there's this secret, and they guide Pike up this hill, basically it, trap him. And then you see the actual aliens, which are these classic big-headed smarty-pants aliens. Wearing these kind of silvery robes. That ensnare Captain Pike and take him to the lair. And then disappear. It's like they've completely vanished behind the mountainside. The crew sees that he gets kidnapped, but they can't save him. And they're cut off from the captain. It turns out he has been put into a zoo, essentially. And that's where the, the story becomes like the menagerie. The classic human trapped in an exotic zoo of alien species. But he's not just taken just to be put on display. Mm-hmm. They, they, they take him for a specific purpose... It's revealed that these aliens, the Telosians, it's revealed that they're just—they're basically society w- crumbled countless centuries ago. They all retreated underground. They developed their mental powers and are now these like super telepathic aliens who, while super powerful, are also helpless. Right. Kind of, they became so smart that they stopped thinking about like the fundamental tools that they would need to survive as a species, and the, and that's what tore their society apart. It's a really cool take like for a species from a sci-fi perspective. I thought that was... That's what kind of holds the episode together yeah. despite its flaws. It's the glue that keeps it together. It's like this tragedy of this this advanced race. Very tragic. At first you think they're going to be malicious and evil, but in the end they're, they're sympathetic and almost pathetic Yeah. because of how helpless they are. They, even, they look like space nerds. They really do like, like alien geeks. So pathetic and sad and frail. Oh, uh, yeah. We're so superior to with our mental powers. Yeah, physically very easily overcome, mm-hmm. but their mental powers are just so great, it gives them such a massive edge over everything. And they live in this kind of fantasy world, mm-hmm. but they don't know how to physically upkeep anything. It's revealed that this woman that Captain Pike is allured by, Vina is her name, is actually a survivor of this human crash ship, but she was a little kid, she was the only survivor, and she's now like, well, she's not like a middle-aged woman, okay, no, she was like an adult, but now she's a middle-aged woman. Right. It's been years. So she spent her, basically her entire rest of her life here yeah. with these people. Most of her adult life has been with these people. It's kind of a living nightmare for her, but they also give her everything she would want. It's a very interesting scenario. She's very aware of her mission like mm. for these people and she's so desperate to make it happen I think because she wants happiness because she wants to please them Those she's people. lonely desperately lonely so many levels to this character man <laughs> <laughs> but she's got like the way the actress plays it she's got levels of like Stockholm Syndrome yeah and awful, oh man it's anger crazy. regret yeah. terror Actress is Susan Oliver, and she does a fabulous job. She's not just a pretty face that you would expect from a 60s show like this. The actor does a fantastic job in portraying depth to this character. Very sad, tragic character. Crushes it. Yeah, it's revealed what they want is they want these two humans to breed to basically create more or less a slave race. Or just a race that can help the Telosians, a more physically capable race, help the Telosians rebuild their society because they can't just do it with their mind powers Mm -hmm. because it's just all illusion and fantasy. As real as it is, it isn't real. So many questions about this dying species. Like, how useless are they despite their powers? If they're letting their machines decay, it seems like they've lost most of their motor functions and hand-eye coordination. I mean, they, they walk very slow and frail. They seem to, like, you could almost push them over and they would just 
<laughs> yeah, so they're trying to, they're not, yeah, they kidnap him to breed him. And so we get this story essentially where this man who is doubting himself and his leadership abilities, his command faculties, they basically throw Vina and these illusions of him trying to essentially seduce him into staying there and breeding with her. Eventually the Telosians kidnap number one and the yeoman. Right, bring them down because Pike has been so resistant to his primitive male desires. They have to give him overwhelming options. He has a choice between all three of them. Yeah. He doesn't end up with any of them. They kind of very simply get out of the situation. Yeah, he, for all their powers, this is just so goofy how he actually ends up overtaking him. Basically right. fakes to be asleep. Yeah. They try to sneak into his cell to remove his weapons, and he jumps him. And he jumps him. And that's it. Despite their powers of illusion, they <laughs> open this little tiny wall. Obvious little wall. <laughs> that he knows is there. That very clearly already knows exists. He does have a defense, and he learns that he can block their some of their telepathy with oh, yeah. hate and violence and primitive emotions. It still comes across as being pretty easy and goofy. So they establish that they're not perfect. They're not all-knowing or all-powerful or anything. He, the two women on the ship are both super into Captain Pike, and it's kind of all out in the open by the end of this. Talk about, like, the stroking of the male ego. Right, like, I wonder where the rest of this season's going to go. <laughs> well, they are, won't they, with his subordinates? <laughs> Find out. They try to present this as this kind of human drama. Unintentionally, it's very much a male ego thing. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been interesting to see the, the Captain Pike and number one dynamic, but probably for the best that this is not what the show ends up being. Mostly. 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 And it creeps back in. There are ultra-high miniskirts that show up pretty quick for the female crew members. <laughs> All of Kirk's space girlfriends. So very clearly, like, how much can we get away with here? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The fuzzy filters. They're glowing. They're well, radiant. Would you recommend this as someone's first Star Trek episode? No. 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 Yeah. Probably not. If you are dedicated to, like, film history and watching everything in exact order, go for it. Fine. Yeah. But in terms of just the average person who's going to sit down and watch something now in 2022, yeah, I don't know about this one. Not a critical view. You have to go in with some kind of historical context. To an extent, that's how I feel about the original series, too. Like, it's fun to go back as a Star Trek fan and watch those three seasons. But as a casual viewer, I can't see anybody really getting through it. Yeah, I think you have to be dedicated to, like, genre entertainment. I, I definitely know people who pick it up and enjoy it, but that is not everyone. There are great episodes. There are lists on the internet. Definitely check these ones out. Do you need to watch the entire series? No, especially with OG Star Trek. Like, they're so episodic. You really can't jump through those highlights with no problem at all. You can understand exactly what's going on. They're all movie of the weeks. Mm-hmm. So you can just jump in anywhere. I love the original show. It's still probably my personal favorite. I love how groundbreaking it was. But this idea that the origi- like that this hasn't been improved upon, I think, would be naive. Yeah, it's like we talked about a little bit. Star Trek is cyclical, has yeah. peaks and valleys, ebbs and flows. There are seasons of shows that are great, like Voyager, and then there are seasons that are not so good. I don't think any Star Trek series by itself is the perfect form of Star Trek. They all have their flaws. They all have yeah. their own things that they do well. It'd be hard to say. It'd be interesting if we do come across like a genuinely perfect episode. They might exist. There are definitely all-time greats, mm-hmm. but a full-on perfect 
It'll be interesting to see. If there are perfect episodes, there's not many. We'll find them. This is the prototype. If something, I would say, if something like that is interesting to you, seeing a genesis of something that became a huge thing, that's the most interesting thing about this episode. If that's your kind of thing, then this would be definitely a recommend. Yeah, and please, like, if you're if you're one of the three or four people that are listening to this episode, give us your comments on it. Tell us your Star Trek story. I would love to hear that from anybody listening, their own personal experience with Star Trek. I think that's one of the core things that will push the show along, yeah. is our sense of, of togetherness and community when it comes to the thing that we love. Yeah, we kind of want to make this a bit of a discussion, not just with us. We are planning to get rotating guest hosts. That's our plan, to have a little more of a panel to talk about some of these things. But we also wanted to make it a conversation with anyone listening. We're not necessarily here to review the episodes. This is I'm not going to give this a three out of five. I mean, we'll we'll throw our critiques out there certainly, but we're not yeah. here to tell you whether or not to watch this episode because it's quality or trash. I wouldn't call this an all timer. I think this is good. It's more interesting than anything. Still very watchable, even as dangerous as as it is. It's still a pretty decent story to follow from beginning to end. As its own isolated thing, yeah. it is interesting and fun. You can find worse ways to pass an hour of your time. You can find worse Star Trek episodes to yeah. pass your time. You can almost feel there are lots of better episodes and there are lots of worse episodes than this. It might it might end up being the middle of the road by which all Star Trek yeah. is secretly judged. Falls somewhere around the mean there. Yeah. Next episode, we're going to look at the second pilot, the 1965 second pilot, when... The network was impressed enough, and probably because they spent a lot of money on it, they were impressed enough to give it a second shot. But they said, you have to give us the Space Western. We're going to get more of that in the next episode, which is going to be Where No Man Has Gone Before, 1965, William Shatner. Here we go. Here we go. And then um, I think we'll do some comparing and contrasting of... Yeah, we can talk a little bit about that episode itself and then look back at the other pilot. How do these compare up against each other? So if anyone ends up listening to this, all three and four of you out there, we want to make this a dialogue with everyone. Absolutely. If we really like what you have to say, we might even mention it on the show, which is cool. I mean, because we're so cool, clearly. Yeah, we're, we're looking, we're specifically looking for um, not just interesting perspectives on Star Trek. There's going to be a lot of those out there. But yeah, your own personal stories. We want to see what's out there. This isn't to completely qualitatively judge Star Trek. Like, if you like this, that's fine. If you don't like this, that's fine. This is a good place to be if you like this, though. Yeah. Certainly. I think that's um, that's it for right now. We'll get back with you in a bit with uh, Where No Man Has Gone Before. Yeah, buddy. And we'll go from there. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to share your own Star Trek story... Or give us a hot take on the episode we just watched. You can join the conversation by visiting our Discord server. You can find us by clicking on the link in the show description.